All right, in three, two, one. Did you just give me the hold on? <laughs> nope, I gave you the one. <laughs> I was counting it down. We got to keep that in. We got to keep uh, that I double in. Barreled Hutch, it. you got to keep that in. That was the best ever. The three, two, one countdown into the episode. And I was already confused as to what was happening with that, with Kevin Woodley. This is how we operate. We are free flowing. We are acting on the fly. It's like road hockey goalie out there on the ice, making saves all over the place. Not exactly uh, true to form and how you do it. Uh, this is uh, In Goal Radio, the podcast presented by The Hockey Shop. TheHockeyShop.com source for sports. Langley, we have a lot to get to. Our feature interview presented by Sensorina is with Darren Darren Robert Pang. Darren Robert Pang, the uh, St. Louis Blues commentator, uh, of course, uh, TNT, and a longtime goaltender, uh, both in the uh, minors and in the National Hockey League. And uh, he is a ray of positivity. I uh, can't wait to get to that. And our gear segment is a Boxing Week sale. Uh, Woody. You threw me for a loop. We got crossed up. I was like a catcher expecting the the curveball, and you throw me a faster. Yeah, I the I double barreled it too. I had the two <laughs> fingers number one going up. I did. I was just doing the countdown, but double barrel once. You know, like Roberto Luongo, number one says it all. Darren, I'm I just so happened to worried do it about uh, about uh, not doing everything according to plan. That uh, that I panic. I'm sorry. Well, I, listen, I've had three hours sleep, so I'm going to be a little discombobulated. And speaking of knuckleballs. Let's get into the Ovi stuff. Let's talk about Ovi shot. Let's talk about 800 goals. Let's talk about chasing Gordie Howe because I've talked to a whole bunch of goalies about this. Now, I've done this in the past. I think the last time I did it was when he was chasing 500. And that was the first time that I realized, and I'm not sure how many of our listeners realize this. I don't know that this is common knowledge uh, around the league, that he throws knuckleballs and change-ups at goaltenders. And it's one of the things that makes that shot, despite the fact that we all know where it's coming from and we all know it's coming, still go in, you know, not just on a regular basis, but the tune to the tune of being on the verge of second all time and arguably the greatest goal scorer of all time with Gretzky up next after how he actually has a curveball. It actually, depending on where he catches that one T, it will actually curve on a regular left-handed catching goalie. It's either looks like it's going wide and can sort of come around on the glove side or breaks down and away from your blocker. And as James Reimer told me, um, that's why he thinks a lot of pucks end up going through guys because there's actual, as he called it, a 95 mile an hour knuckleball. Um, David Dubnik told me that depending on what part of the stick he hits that one timer, what part of the curve, and it will go four different directions. And if Ovi doesn't know which part, how the hell do I? And as Devin said, I said, yeah, that little toe hook. He says, no, no, it's not little. I got a signed stick from him late in my career. That thing's a banana. So uh, there's a little, amidst all the hype and all the focus and kudos for Jake Ottinger for just going out and like shutting him down, making sure it's not going to be me that gives up 800 and 801. Nobody's celebrating on my watch. Um, there's a reason. You can, you can try as much as you want to shut him down. You can focus as much as you want. He gets a hold of one of those things and it's breaking at 95 miles an hour. Good luck to you. Do you think Ovi plays? the curve one way or the other or does it just happen See, now I, that i'm not that's sure my job i, will I find don't out know about i've that. never had the chance i i need i and he was here actually he set the yes. road goal scoring record here in vancouver and he, I, actually i'm kicking myself now that you mentioned that because again i've written that story before brayden holby was really good for that story uh, having faced him in practice all those years ryan miller talked to me for it um all those years ago and then updated it for when he breaks the how record, it'll be at NHL.com with another like five or six goalies. And I didn't ask him. I had that opportunity to just say, hey, it, the goalies say it curves. Do you have control over how and when it curves? And I, it's on you, Darren. We, get, we, need the, we need that answer. The goalie union needs to know if this is on purpose or as Doobie said, if he doesn't know where it's going, how the hell do I? Uh, I'm on it. Uh, second question. How much does that trajectory change? I don't think, I think it's subtle based okay. on these guys, but like, think about it. It's not like, we're not talking about like, uh, I don't think we're talking about a, like a huge breaking ball, the kind that, you know, at a right-handed batter makes him buckle his knees before it swings over the plate. But at that speed, at that velocity, it doesn't take much. As, as Ryan Miller said, like if it moves just a little bit and you don't catch it flush and you just get a piece of it because of how heavy and how much spin is on it, it'll still go through you. 
if you don't get a lot of it. And it so it doesn't take much movement. You think about how much a goaltender reads a puck coming off a stick and thinks he knows where it's going. Uh, it wouldn't take much change in direction to to cause goalies fits. And the other point I thought was really good, uh, and, and Dubnik's made this one to me before, and he reiterated again for this story. He doesn't miss. Like how many times does he miss the net on that shot? Like he always seems to find a way to force you to make a save. Um, we've seen here in Vancouver, like to just to compare to something I see on a regular basis, Elias Patterson has got a wicked one-timer. Um, when he hits his spot, it like Ovechkin is very much feels like it's got to be unstoppable curve or no curve. And yet he must lead the league in posts and crossbars over the last two seasons. And that, you know, I'm sure Ovi's hit a ton too, but you know, I wonder like the fact that all the goalies say he always makes you make a save. And then I watch a guy who hits it just as hard, but is about like probably batting 30% off the iron. Like that, that, that's the difference between a lot of goals over the course of a, a very long and obviously very successful first ballot Hall of Fame career. You were able to talk to so many guys uh, who were involved in previous milestones. The one thing that I've heard, and I don't know whether it's urban legend or not, but just the spin that comes off the Ovechkin shot, it just seems to be more uh, elevated than others. Well, and that probably is a part of having it move on them, like having spin. And that's what Ryan Miller talked about again, like just how heavy it is. And we all know that, a heavy shot is one that is spinning hard. And again, because of that spin, if you don't get a good piece of it, it has a really good chance of going off you and still ending up in the net. Oh, we've got a great uh, sale happening over at the Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com, source for sports Langley with Boxing Week. Yep, Boxing Week. And so for our American friends who may not be familiar, Cam explains it to us in the segment. Boxing Week is, well, you know what? Rather than have me explain it, I'm just going to tell you one thing. Right now, as this podcast launches, it's a little early for Boxing Week, so you got to wait a little bit, but you're going to want to listen to find out what's on sale so you can take advantage of it when the sale starts on Boxing Day. Canadians are all like, exactly, we know exactly when this is. There might be some American listeners like, what the hell is the toothless idiot talking about now? Let's listen to Cam and have him try and explain what exactly a Boxing Day is and why you can save up to 50% on merchandise across the store when that day hits. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop Source for Sports out here at the new location in Langley. 34,000 square feet of hockey greatness, including here in what I'm still calling Goalie Utopia, the Goalie Corner. You may be wondering why I'm sitting here with a bunch of goalie equipment and a bunch of boxes. Boxing Day! Do you know that we have a whole bunch of American viewers and listeners on the podcast that are like, what the hell is Boxing Day? That's okay. We call American Thanksgiving Thursday, so that's fine. It's pretty much your Black Friday, folks. As much as we in Canada now also celebrate Black, celebrate Black, Black Friday. Friday. There easy, you go. Easy for you to say, Cam. Um... Up here, it started with Boxing Day, which is the day after Christmas, December 26th. Yes, December 26th is when everybody would go shopping, which seems a little strange. I actually don't know the origin of it. I'm sure there's a great story. Wikipedia, that crap. What we're here for today... I'm sure, I'm sure Hutch will... What's on sale? So, yes. Cam, I want one. You can have one. Okay, okay. Fine. So what's on let's, sale? Let's get rid of it. Boxing Day, if it's going to be our equivalent of the American Thanksgiving and the beauty is a whole bunch of the stuff will actually cross the border as well. So even if you're in the States and you don't know what it is, you can save what? 20 to 50% off? Yeah. Yeah. Depending on the items, you got to check them out. www.thehockeyshop.com or give us a call at 604-589-8299. But that's the ending. We're still midway through. So let's continue. Give me the highlights. All right. So, well, part of the highlights is just some of these CCM Pro Return sticks. Uh, we've touched on a few in the past. Still have quite a few. Um, 25 and a half inch. Ooh, I like this one. Yeah. Good, good overall feel. Premier <laughs> two. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I, I can already just see I'm going to get a butt end of the face here. Also, Vaughn SLR two pro pro carbon as well. There's a few that are left over. Um, I've got uh, quite a few of those gloves. Um, if you're after a chest, especially, um, if you need one for, say, one of your kids, uh, intermediate sizes and junior sizes left in the Warrior G5, quite a few options there. Great price. 
Bauer 3S pads also have their bigger brother, the Ultrasonic. Those guys are on sale as well. CCM Axis pads or your Ritual. We've touched on those in the past. Quite a few of them left over. Basically, Check this is out. your last chance to blow out all the old gear before the new stuff starts coming in the spring. Correct, because there's lots of new stuff coming and we need room. So come buy our old you stuff. You got all this space and you still need more room. Well, I, the I advantage customer on this one, like I said, 20 to 50% off depending on the item. Huge sale on Boxing Day. And for our American friends, that is the day after Christmas, December 26th it starts. Make sure you check it out, thehockeyshop.com. Or if you have any questions, one more time, Cam, where can they get you to find out what's on sale and how quickly they can get it? 604-589-8299 or 1-800-567-7790. So maybe Santa didn't bring you what you wanted for Christmas? Get it yourself. Get it on sale. Get it on Boxing Day here at thehockeyshop.com. You, get back in your box. Sweet. Show just got that much better. And Cam, to you and everybody over at the hockey shop, uh, congratulations on a marvelous move and happy holidays. Hope you get at least a couple of hours to sit back and relax before you get back in there for the Boxing Week sale. Uh, we have a, a lot to get to uh, around the National Hockey League. Our feature interview with Darren Pang, St. Louis Blues and uh, TNT broadcaster. Uh, Turner Sports has been uh, marvelous uh, in their uh, acceptance of the National Hockey League uh, national rights, and they brought Pang along with them for that ride. Uh, but uh, also a former goaltender, and he's going to go on a journey with Kevin Woodley in our censoring the feature interview. But uh, a great contract for Stuart Skinner. This is uh, a three-year deal for a restricted free agent that gives the Edmonton Oilers stability in their crease for a while now. Yeah, I know. And then the other, we had a second contract announced this week. I almost forgot. Uh, Pyotr yes. Kochetkov got a four-year deal at $8 million for a little less AAV than Stuart Skinner got, which I thought was interesting because I think the way Kochetkov's playing, um, there are probably a lot of people, especially with the Russian roots, that are you know seeing some upside there and making comparisons to Sorokin. And I think he's got three shutouts already and in, in, you know, like not very many starts. Um, so he's getting those types of comparisons. And typical Carolina Hurricanes, they lock in a guy with a ceiling like that for two million dollars for the next four years. Like that, that seemed like, uh, as the kids say on the analytics side, a tidy piece of business. I like the Skinner deal too. I know a lot of people in Edmonton seem to be concerned, or at least one of the things I, I do a weekly radio hit there, and it actually came just after the contract was announced. And the concern I heard from from sort of people at Edmonton was, well, it walks him right to unrestricted free agency. You know, three years at 2.6 could be a really good deal um, for a guy who, you know, in a very short sample in the NHL has hovered around a 9.15 save percentage. Uh, he's, he's earned starts ahead of, you know, Jack Campbell so far early this season, being a real steadying influence in the crease. Um, but it walks him right to unrestricted free agency and you might have to pay him big if he hits. And I'm less concerned about that. Not because I don't think he's going to hit, but I just think even if he does, goaltending salaries aren't going anywhere. So you're going to have to pay him what if he hits and he's established himself as a number one? Five? Like that's just the going rate. Like there's nobody. This is why this, the Nish Shesterkin contract is going to be really interesting. I don't know that we're giving anybody the Vasilevsky price, Bobrovsky money. And so if Skinner has three really solid years, the raise isn't going to be break the bank type stuff. So I don't worry about that as much as other people. And hey, if he hits to that degree, that means you've been getting that level of goaltending for a couple of seasons at a really reduced rate. And you're probably willing to pay for him to keep being your goalie because he's a homegrown talent from the area that you develop from the, from the ground up. And guess what? It tends to take a homegrown talent for the most part. Darcy Kemper and the Colorado Avalanche aside, it's typically guys that come through organizations that tend to win cups. Except when you talk about goalie salaries not going up, the salary cap is going to increase. So somebody's going to, somebody's going to, uh, in, in a crease, is going to strike it rich on that. Well, it'll be, if it's going to be anyone, it'll be Shesterkin or Sorokin. But I'm telling you, like the trend toward needing to, the volatility we've seen, like Thatcher Demko, everybody was raving about that $5 million contract being an absolute bargain at the end of last season. And in part because his team can't defend a lick and in part because 
uh, of injuries this season doesn't look like that. You know, now there's question marks about his long term future. I think he'll be still be fine and continue to be an elite goaltender when he gets back and healthy. But there's just so much volatility. There are so few guys that go full out workhorse on this. We're into tandems. I like. I just you know like I mean, the two most attractive free agents this summer were Jack Campbell and Darcy Kemper. And Jack got five times five. And Darcy got, what, 5.6 coming off a Stanley Cup win? I don't think we're going to see salaries. Like, Connor Hellebuck's having a Vesna trophy. Like, Connor Hellebuck's a $6 million goaltender. Like, they're going to be the list of guys that are going to push into that $10 million, $9 million stratosphere that a handful occupy right now. Like, I just don't think we're going there anymore. And I'd be happy for a goalie to prove me wrong. I'm waiting for somebody to knock on the door while we're recording this and come take away my goalie union card for suggesting this. But if I was a general manager, the one thing I would avoid above all else with goaltenders is term. And with the need to have depth in the position and the fact you're going to use two, maybe three every year, I don't know that you can overspend on one unless it's Andre Vasilevsky. And even look at Shesterkin. Everybody thought he, you know, we were talking to him. I was talking about him as like, maybe he's challenging for the best goalie in the world title last year. Well, how are things gone this season? Not terribly, but not to the standard he set last year either. And there's still plenty of time to get back there. But again, that volatility, I think, is going to create hesitation amongst general managers to go long-term big money on goaltenders moving forward. And that's why having a guy like Stuart Skinner walked right into unrestricted free agency, man, if he hits and he's a home run as a number one for the next three years, you got a bargain. And the reality is he's still probably not going to command a huge raise. Because the position doesn't command a huge yeah, raise anymore. I'm a big Vasilevsky fan. I think he's the the best goaltender in the world. And so I don't want this to be misconstrued. Yep. But the Vesna Trophy winners over the last decade are a revolving door. Like, there's no repeat guys in there. And so you, that plays into your consistency or year-over-year year, uh, performances. And, and again, Vasilevsky is awesome. But every year there's a different best goalie, according to the league. And... The one guy, the last guy to win two is making 10 a year in Florida. And when both goalies are healthy, he wasn't the guy that was getting the most starts. Like, again, that's not a criticism of Bobrovsky. I think the change in moving teams has been a big part of that. Um, The structure he succeeded behind in Columbus isn't the same in Florida. And I'm also not making excuses. Like, that contract was a lot to live up to and it hasn't been easy. But I just think it's one more example why we won't see those types of tickets on goaltenders anymore. And listen... Sorokin is an incredible talent. Shesterkin is an incredible talent. I talked about how much I like Demko's game when he's healthy, you know, but, but Hellebuck even like this, like he's an elite number one goaltender and he's back at that level again. He could be our next multiple Vesna trophy winner, Darren, the way he's playing. And he's locked in for just over six a year. I think it's Lena's Allmark. Just because I know that and you like, you love pointing out that the GMs look at wins. I'm going to side with the GMs on this one. The guys, as we record this, is 18-1-1. I'm sorry. That and a GA under two, blah, blah, blah. Uh, that, that, that's my guy right now. As good as Hellebuck has played, and he's played better than I've ever seen him. I am not going to disagree at all because the analytics, despite the fact Boston being a very good team, like Linus Allmark's in that conversation, Darren. 100%. He, and I would have no problem with him winning the Vesna Trophy. And there's a guy that had actually, you know, underlying numbers in Buffalo were really good. But we talk about the market for goaltenders and what you're willing to pay. There's a guy that went to unrestricted free agency. What's he making? Five million a year. So again, kind of to my point, like I think your range, Jacob Markstrom was hands down the best goaltender on the free agent market two years ago. What did he get? He got six. Like I don't think, you know, so again, if Skinner hits and he's a number one, it's like, oh, we've walked him unrestricted free agency. Yeah, but you've gotten him at number one level for 2.6 for two or three years, and yeah, you're going to have to give him a raise, but that raise might only be to 5 or $6 million. And if he's good enough to be in that category of goaltender, you're happy to give it to him. I guess that's my point for, you know, very long-winded rant about people at Edmonton being worried about this contract walking him to UFA. I don't think you need to because I don't think that's what it used to be when it comes to goaltenders. You've convinced me. I'm over to your side. And the other side uh, thing that this does prove is there's a lot of great up-and-coming goaltenders who are approaching their prime or coming into the league, and that also gives general managers uh, a, a lot of options uh, with it. It's it's If there was one or two great guys, you'd have these astronomical salaries and have no 
ability to look back and go regret it. Uh, But there's regret with the two big salaries that we have right now. Well, there's, I mean, and there might be regret in Edmonton a little bit over Jack Campbell's salary. And I still say he ends up earning that. Like, I still think Jack Campbell will be fine with time, you know, but again, because of the market and, and because of the musical chairs aspect of it, there were two names on the list. One signed in Washington, they took the other one. And because he was uh, seen as a number one, that meant $5 million. I think as much as there's not going to be differences in salary at the goaltending, I think the need to evaluate them a little more, I don't know, I'm trying to find the right word for how we do it. Like just to have a bit of a, you know, to use a journalism word, a little bit of a deeper dive before making that commitment just because he's quote unquote a number one guy. Like, I like Jack Campbell, and I I know he's better than he's played so far, and I believe he'll get back to the levels we've seen in the past. But even at his best, he graded out in the 30s relative to a very friendly goalie environment in Toronto. Like a lot of that, his success was a part of being a structure that's really good for goalies. Like that helps goalies. You're going to post good raw numbers. And when you looked at the adjusted stuff, you know, it... To me, it would have given me pause on a long-term commitment. I still like him as a goalie. I like him in a in a 1A, 1B role, 100%. But to pay him the same as Lena Selmark, you know, like that, that's where I think the evaluations are going to have to get better for general managers. Like they need to look at the tools. The tools I had access to say that was that was a risky contract. And I still think he can live up to it. But we're seeing some of that risk. Again, that volatility, that risk. The volatility was evident in the game. The risk was was paying for it despite that. And right now it's looking like a risk that, you know, in the early going, hasn't paid off. I st- like I said, still think he'll be fine. Still think he'll get back to the levels of Toronto. And that will be much better than what we're seeing now. But it's not at the Linus Elmark tier because it has never been if you look at the numbers. Don't rush to judgment on me as I bring up this name because it's not in connection to what we just talked about. Andrew Hammond, uh, a stick tap to him as he hangs it up or retires from professional sports. Yeah, announced it yesterday on Twitter. I actually had a heads up this was coming because Andrew was one of the guys that I reached out to for the Ovechkin story. He was Mr. 500. He remembers the goal well. Um, he was, you know, it's funny because Jake Ottinger talked about Pete DeBoer, and that was a smart play by Pete DeBoer going into that locker room pregame and saying, listen, these next two goals, the entire team is coming off the bench to celebrate. And Jake Ottinger did not want that on his watch. And it was funny because Hammond didn't expect it on his watch. Goal number 500 goes in. He told me he turned around and started his goalie routine. Water, regroup. And then he turns back to the middle of the ice and the entire Capitals team is out there celebrating with Alexander Ovechkin. And so that was a bit of a shocker. Not to, hey, let's face it. None of us like to give up goals, but to have to do it and see that celebration, that's tough. So um, anyways, when, we re- when I reached out, I, I wasn't sure I'd get him because I I'd saw that he'd signed in Russia. Well, it turns out, as he announced it in his uh, social media posts on his retirement, he only played two games over there. He's been back overseas working for BioSteel already, um, really settled into the next phase of his life, seems really at peace with things. Little bit of a tough ending to their career, because I really liked where his game got to right before that ankle injury. And he was in Montreal when the ankle was hurt. He was a little surprised, I think, to be traded to New Jersey. Um, where they expected him to come in and play and the ankle wasn't anywhere near ready to play. And, you know, as we see with the retirement, it never did get back to being good enough to play. But that's the only downside is I thought his game had trended to a place where it was, he was ready to show that he could be an everyday NHLer again. And, I, and I've always felt he could be. And then he just gets that injury. So uh, we're hoping to have him on the podcast soon. I, I, uh, I planted that seed uh, when we were talking about the Ovechkin goal and he just wanted to wait till he announced his retirement. So now that he has, we're, if you're listening, Hamburglar, we're hoping to have you on the uh, we're hoping to have you on the podcast soon. Maybe I'll get a message from Curtis Lazar here in Vancouver, who of course was the guy who actually picked the hamburger up off the ice one of those games and uh, and started wolfing it down. Great story, uh, good career for a guy. A lot of people didn't think, you know, as he as he turned pro would have much of one. Like there's this was not a guy who came up with a ton of pedigree and expectations, and he ended up having a really good pro career, including uh, one of the most memorable runs in the history. Incredible. Of goaltending in the National Hockey League. Yeah, turned around the Ottawa Senators season, and he burst onto the uh, scene. And much like Patrick Lean back in the day, what a start uh, to his National Hockey League career. He outlasted the Hamburglar himself, who's been retired a couple of times. And now the Hamburglar, the goalie, uh, joins him in, in his second career. 
The actual Hamburglar retired, yeah. like the yeah. McDonald's guy? Yeah, the, I McDonald's, guy, really the McDonald's character's been retired a couple of times and then brought back and then reinvented and then retired and and then made to look, look more kid-friendly and then retired. And yeah, it's, he's, had, he's had a tough go over at Mickey D's. I, I see. I, I, this is why we we turn we learn something new on the Ingo Radio <laughs> podcast every day. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Was the Hamburglar the one that said Rubble Rubble? Uh, or was I, that was Grimace? A, I think that was Grimace. Oh, see, I want to say I, Grimace. I, but my I know apologies the to all the Mickey D fans. Was uh, what was the name of the 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 cop uh, that that was always after the hamburger? I can never remember the cop's name. Uh, Detective McCheese or something like that. I don't know. Uh, that that's for people to let us. This is why we make mistakes, so people can let us know that we make mistakes. But there's uh, there was a cop in that whole a group of people with Ronald McDonald and okay, the hamburger. Like- Let's get this back on the tracks. All right. Sorry. I'm going down a, a, a bad path. Uh, we've got uh, Darren Robert Pang, and I can't wait to, to hear Andrew Hammond of the stories there, but there's arguably not many better storytellers than Darren Pang uh, with his journey from Memorial Cup champion uh, with Bruce Cassidy and Brian Kilroy in Ottawa uh, with the 67s uh, to a, a cool career with the Chicago Blackhawks, one of the great masks ever, a uh, diminutive uh, goaltender and now uh, recognizable in the broadcast booth. Yeah, and a, a tough interview for me because I didn't know where to start. Yeah. Uh, we didn't well, even get to the, we, di- we didn't even get to the Memorial Cup. And so Darren's never been a guest on the podcast, but every time he comes to Vancouver, there just ends up being a conversation about something. I remember once it was about shots off the mask and how many, and he had stories, just stories for days, and they were the best stories, and he's the best storyteller. Yes. He brings an energy and positivity that, quite frankly, I find inspiring to everything that every time I've seen him, every time I've met him, every time I've watched him walk into the rink and engage with other people. It just, it makes you feel good. And so there's a lot of that in here. But the challenge was knowing all those different stories and not knowing how to tie them together. So we just, we just started talking about how he got started and how his game developed. He talks about the Blackhawks stint. With Mike Keenan, he talks about writing a book on all the shooters in the National Hockey League and then Keenan stealing it. Uh, His inspiration, he didn't want to be a goalie. I didn't know Darren Pang didn't want to be a goalie. And then into the broadcast career, who he likes now. Like, There's just so much good stuff here. And a lot of it applies today. A lot of the movement patterns that he worked on when he was a goalie when he was learning from Wayne Thomas, who learned from Warren Strelo and some of the real true roots of goalie coaches, talks about how they apply in today's game. So a lot has changed since Darren broke in. And that's the beauty. He stays on top of all of it. You know what I didn't ask him about? I didn't ask him about Sense Arena. Hmm. Which I, and I guarantee you, he probably would have known about it. Because every time I talk oh, yeah, to him knows, about... Up to the end every this guy does his homework every trend around the league he's on top of so i'm sure darren knows that you don't need to go on the ice to get better as a goaltender thanks to our friends at sense arena you can get better you can make saves you can train your eyes you can train your brain you can read releases off sticks including nhl shots coming to sense arena all with a virtual reality headset we've been talking about it for a couple of years now there is no better way, especially when you can't get on the ice, to improve your skills as a goaltender, to improve your tracking, to improve your eyes. And don't forget, a lot of 3D object training, a lot of the brain training tools that you see on other platforms, all included in your Sense Arena subscription. And of course, now, right up till Christmas, there's a sale on. Make sure you check out our social media. Check out sensearena.com. Use the the code IGM50 to save an additional $50. But right now, the specials include savings of over $476, a free Quest 2 headset, controllers, holders, the whole works, uh, discount on the annual subscription. Make sure you check it out on our social media um, for your discounts on Sense Arena. Perfect Christmas gift. Get it under the tree for the goalie in your life. Or let's be honest, if you're a goalie yourself, just buy it for yourself. There's no better time to get it. There's no better tool for becoming a better goaltender than Sense Arena. And I guarantee if I had asked Darren Pang, he'd have an answer because he's always on top of everything. Yes. And he's a grabber, like in the sense of when he's telling a story, he's 
grabbing your arm and your wrist and he's showing you and the, you got to see that. I, that's what I love. You know, he's engaged when he starts uh, reaching out and uh, touching your shoulder and do, doing all this stuff. It's, it's one of the great thrills of, of catching up with him. Darren Pang, debut voyage on Ingle Radio, the podcast, uh, this feature interview brought to you by Sensorina. He was so good. Really pleased to welcome to the Ingle Radio podcast, a guy that I've uh, been blessed to have conversations with over the years here at the rink, but we've never had on as a guest, a good friend of our host, Darren Millard, Darren Pang. Darren, I wasn't even sure where to start. Playing career. We were just talking the other day about your time sort of with like Wayne Thomas and the era of Warren Strelow. You're immersed in the modern game of goaltending as an analyst now. So I'm going to throw it way back and just ask you where the love for the position started for you. Well, I, I think we all have probably our, our goaltending story, Kevin. It's great to be on. I'm a b- big fan of, the, uh, of in goal. And, uh, and, and even though, you know, I played the position and it was a while back, um, I still, I, I have to keep up with the modern game. And, and so I, I, I tend to uh, lean into your, your magazine and the shows and everything. And I listen to the, the goaltenders and listen to your self-talk. So I appreciate that. And I appreciate seeing a goalie with uh, lacking a tooth or like that because he took one right off the face as well. <laughs> that is a that is a good one right there. Um, that's a goalie. That's loving the the game. But I I was actually always a forward. Um, early early like outdoor hockey. Um, I was a forward in lacrosse. I was a you know I was a goal scorer. I was a playmaker. I was I I was a dangler in hockey. And my dad was a you know high school goalie slash senior goalie. And you know and he he uh, at one point just asked me if I wanted to to play goal that, uh, that, you know, this travel team needed a goalie. And, and, uh, I said, I, I, I said, not really, I really don't want to be a goalie, but then my, our neighbor had these really neat blue pads that, uh, that he'd painted or something. And he used them for street hockey and he gave them to me. And so uh, they had a number one on the, on the, on the middle roll pad. And, and, uh, anyway, so I, I wore these blue and red pads and, uh, made the travel team. And next thing you know, I'm on the, on the, they're called the the Nepean Baby Raiders. Um, I grew up in Ottawa, but Nepean is a, a the west suburb, and, and so I uh, ended up uh, playing travel hockey at the age of like six or seven, and and I couldn't get out of the net because then I became you know one of the better goalies in the Ottawa area, and we were we won all the time, and it was like I I couldn't get out. I wanted to get out actually, really, and I wanted to be a forward, and I play I play outdoor hockey all the time. And I, I, I couldn't wait to get on the ice and, and play forward. I played forward a lot in practice with our guys if I was tired of being the goalie. And so, but you know, at one, you know, I've asked my dad a couple of times, like why? And he goes, I just basically said, you're, you could catch everything and you weren't going to get much bigger. So being a forward might not have been in your future, but maybe you'd have a chance as a goaltender. And so he was a softball pitcher. And so he would, he would fire, like he would pitch at me when I was very young. So I'd catch everything. And he's like, you can catch it. You can, you can catch pucks. You can catch this fastball that I'm throwing at you. You can catch pucks. So kind of how it happened to begin with. So, I mean, two parts that I want to follow up there. The first one is like, did you develop a love for the position? Like, did you end up loving the position or just you were really good at it? And the second part would be all that time as a forward. Do you think it benefited you? The fact that, I mean, we see now, one of the things we see with kids is can they read the game? Can they, can they sort of process the, connect the dots of the flow? And it, if you're playing out, you know, Brain Holpe talked about that until he was 13 years old, right? Like yep. that helped him as a goaltender. I, I totally agree with that. I think, I think it added hockey sense to my, you know, to my repertoire and, and to, I, even as an analyst to this day, I mean, you, you could, you could ask a, any one of my friends growing up and, and I, I, ball hockey leagues, hockey, lacrosse, I, you know, so they're not, they, they, they're not surprised when I talk about a goal scorer or a play or, disguising a shot that they know that I know because, because, uh, um, because I love playing so much, but you know, the, the goaltending part of it, I had, I had some serious like anxiety for games. Like I, even at a, at a young age, I couldn't eat before. So I, I, so I ate things like, oh, like, um, like just oatmeal, cream of wheat, things that would um, settle easy. Yes. And that's, that's all I could eat. And I, I, I was very nervous. Um, and then I get in the net and, you know, I, I, my concentration was very, very, very good. And, and I was very, a very intense uh, competitor in every sport I played, even though people think that I goof around a lot when, when I, when I got in the net, I wasn't that way. And then, 
when I played, when I made it to the NHL, Kevin, I, I actually, I, I don't know if it was just the, the fear of, fear of being sent down, the fear of going back to the minors, but I start, I got really nervous. I was throwing up before every single game. And it was really an odd thing because even though as a young kid, I was like, I really was like, I, it's hard to say. I'm not was it nervous. Was it anxiety? I, I, I don't know exactly what it was, but, but then in the NHL, I was like, man, I'm, I can't keep my food down. And so I was, I threw up before every game and it was, it was, uh, I don't think I could have played for 10 years. I think my stomach would have been a disaster, but. But that's that's kind of the way it was. There's probably a lot of kids out there. I mean, maybe not to that degree, but that that feel that. Did you? I mean, you said every game. Did did you develop mechanisms or ways to sort of manage that or cope with it? Or it was like it clockwork. Really, it was like clockwork. We'd have Bob McGill. I just re, I recall many situations because our the rinks that we played in, you, you know, Maple Leaf Garden, small bathroom, small small. Um, the even the toilets were in the middle of the room. The sink was right there so you know nowadays you could probably find an area in a private in a locker room and, and go throw up you know and no one would hear you but you know at chicago stadium there it was right there so the guys could hear it it was a it's a violent you know but anyway bob mcgill would be <laughs> bob mcgill would be putting vaseline on his face like let's say we're playing detroit and and you know he knows he's gonna it's going to be Joe Koser. It's going to be Bob Probert. He's going to be fighting somebody. So he, he got Vaseline on his cheeks. So he's putting Vaseline on his cheeks. I'm throwing up beside him. And, and, and he's like, so my nickname was Spank. And he, he'd come into the room and he'd go, Spank's ready, boys. Spank is ready to go, you know? And it became kind of one of those things. As soon as the warm up ended, I'd come back. I'd come back and take off my chest protector, take off my sweater, go in and just absolutely heave ho. Just emptier. And, and then I was like, I, I felt great. I felt great. So it's once like that my, was done, you were my, okay. My food sat in the middle of my, my chest, it seemed like. And, and there's, anyway, yeah. So then I felt like, okay, here I go. Deep breath and, and ready to go. lots of water and probably lots of sugar tablets, probably lots of other, you know, energetic things. And then bang, ready to go. Wow. But the game has changed so much. Goaltending has obviously changed a lot. I don't lot. think they're throwing up before games anymore. There might be some we don't know about. Yeah, you never know. You never yeah. know. Um, the style. I mean, so much has changed. Talk to me about some of your influences. Like back then, you, know, you talk about your dad pitching to you and being able to catch and, and hand-eye coordination and reading the game. Like, were there points where you, you know, got your first goalie coach? Because it, it wasn't something that was common back then, but I know you had some influences back then. How'd you, how'd you learn to play the game at such a high you know, level? Kevin, my, my dad, um, my dad was, was really, um, really good at supporting me with the fundamentals. He, he had goalie camps himself. Um, so I'd go to his goalie camps. He was, you know, he was, he was the guy that I talked to about, about things. I mean, for example, you know, being a smaller goaltender, you know, I wanted a glove. Maybe it was a GM 12, you know, dad said it's, it's too big. You know, you're going to get a GM. Maybe it's the GM 35, uh, youth one, my stick he always cut it down so that the, the fat part, the paddle of the, of the stick wasn't too big so that I had a hole, like a, a loose arm. So he'd always make sure it was cut down and he would kind of a, make, make everything appropriate to my size. And so, so my fundamentals were very good at the, from the beginning. My stick was always in front of me. Um, my angles were good. Um, and, and, and being a smaller goaltender, I had to have good angles. And I also had to, I challenged a lot, but, but I couldn't over challenge because I didn't have the big, strong legs to get back in the net. So then I became more of a reflex goaltender that I gave the glove a lot, or I kind of morphed into a, my quickness was my strength. Yeah. yeah. And, and then, and then as I got, got older, the, the, mo- the most influential uh, man in my life to get me to the NHL was Wayne Thomas by far. I mean, he was coaching in Salt Lake city in the IHL. I was playing in the I, I played for Milwaukee Saginaw for a couple of years. And Wayne was an unbelievable coach. And I was watching uh, Mike Vernon, um, who got sent down uh, probably from Calgary to maybe to Moncton to Salt Lake. I'm not sure how it went, but uh, Wayne Thomas was there working on drills with him. And I knocked on his door. I knocked on the coach's door and I said, hey, I'm, I'm Darren Pang. I'm the goalie for Saginaw. And uh, Mr. Thomas, is there any chance that, that you have all those drills that you were just doing with Mike Vernon? And he said, Darren, I'll, I'll get them for you later today. And before our game, he, he came to our room 
and he handed me, it was about five pages at least of his diagrams with, it was all written fresh for me. It was highlighted. Um, it was, uh, it explained the drills. And then as it turns out in 1987, he was hired by the Blackhawks and I don't think they wanted to pick me as the goaltender. I think they wanted, uh, Bob Mason and maybe Eddie Belfour. And I know he stepped up in front of uh, Bob Polford and, and, and the coaches and said, am I the goalie coach? You hired me to be the goalie coach. And they said, yeah. And he said, well, do I not have a say in who's going to be the goaltender? And they said, what do you think? And he said, it's, it's going to be Darren Pang and Bob Mason. And Eddie Belfour has got to go to the minors and work on his game. He's not ready for this. Wow. And, and that was fair. That was a fair assessment for him. I was ready and he believed in me. And I made the Blackhawks that year because of him. And then he was my goalie coach. And he, he, was, he just kept everything very level for me. We were on the ice every day at 10.15 with that bony uh, puck shooting machine. Yeah. And, and we worked diligently on things. And the minute I slipped or the minute I got too cocky, he, he got me going again. And the minute I was down a little bit, he pumped me up. I mean, he was an, he's an excellent human being, but I really admired his goaltending strategies and, and the, 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 you know, the X drill, Y drill, Z drill, all those, all the formations that he was teaching were, were what I grew up with. Skating patterns and movement everything, on the skates. Everything. And getting to pucks. Like I was a good puck handler, but you know, my key was getting to pucks before in, into certain areas and how they came off the boards. And, and I switched hands. So I had to, I had to, I had to go right-handed, turn it over and yeah. turn it over. So I had to be there a little bit quicker. And, and he, he just encouraged me. They, he and Bob Murdoch encouraged me to succeed in the NHL. And I, I'm, I'm forever thankful because I, I wouldn't, I'm not sure if I would have really gotten a, a legitimate chance to be in the NHL without them, but especially without Wayne Thomas. No, Wayne's a guy that um, I got to meet and he was really kind to me early day. Actually, it was before Ingle. It was the old Goalie News magazine when he was with the San Jose Sharks. And at that point, there was a lot of Warren Strelo influence, I think. Would that have, would your experiences with him have predated him working yeah, with Warren? I didn't have or? Warren, um, but my, my, my partner, uh, Bob Mason, had Warren in, um, in Washington. So he always spoke uh, so highly of Warren. And then I got to know Warren just because of my relationship with, uh, with Doug Wilson, you know, former teammate, and then Daryl Sutter there and, and Wayne Thomas. So I was doing a lot of national games on ESPN. So I was able to, able to really get close to them and getting Nabokov and Kipper when, before he got traded. And even, even before that, boy, there was a lot of goaltenders that went through there. But, um, a lot of good goalies, too. Yeah, that really in, good they goalies. had a lot of, like between Wayne and, and Warren, just a, I mean, it was a pipeline, right? And I think it, it was. Sometimes I'm a little, ignorant to the t you know you you don't you ignore the history before you started and that was kind of before I started yeah. but and and so I talk a lot about Francois Lair and, and the start of goalie coaching but you know Warren was the sort of first guy that didn't play that's right that that kind of broke the barriers for a lot seen, of people you should have seen these these rubber um uh I don't know what you would even call them he put he put them over his running shoes so he'd go on the ice because he, he didn't never didn't had skates. skates on and they were almost like not broom ball style they were but anyway, they, so he could get on the ice and, and not slip and fall, and, and he'd get out there, and he'd be, he'd be pointing at different areas, and then Wayne would do a lot of this structured stuff as well. And, but uh, yeah, I, 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 you know, you always think back at how, how, how things happen and why did it happen, and, and I don't want to get too philosophical, but boy, when you have an opportunity and somebody believes in you, I mean, I felt like a million bucks. I felt like I could play in the league. I felt like you know, I could play every game. I, I, I really was sad. He got, they got fired uh, after that first year. And, and, it, and it was sad for me because I went from that to Mike Keenan and no goalie coach and being, you know, just being pulled and being bullied in the net, basically, you know, and in, in you know, I don't mean to be so dramatic, but that was a big change for me, you know, a big, big change. And, and it hurt my career. It, for sure. And I mean, and look at how, like how long it was before and you talk about the, the positive influence of a goalie coach. Look how long it was before they became standard yeah. around the league and how many guys would have gone through that same experience where you're trying to survive in the toughest league in the world and you don't have that confidence. And that's something, huh? It's, it, it is remarkable to me, but there's yeah. a whole gener multiple generations that had to do it. Yeah. And I, I, I just think of the whole thing, like what made me go, I don't know, what, what made me, you know, knock on the, the Wayne Thomas's door the visiting coach. I was going to say, there's a lesson there and, too. And asked, you took initiative. Yeah, exactly right. And I, you know, I've, I've tended to do that, you know, a lot. I, I was, I'll give you a short story here. Um, I don't have many short stories. They're always too You've always got good stories, long. so we're um, all ears. But, but when I was in the, uh, 
I was in the minors. I was in Saginaw, and and we had a terrific, uh, terrific team there, and uh, I'd had a real good camp and and won every game in training camp. So I thought I was closer to making the team than being sent down to the minors. So I was very disappointed. That was my third year, and um, and so one night we we'd won a we'd won a game, and I'm looking around in Saginaw Civic Center and. You know, it's small enough building, maybe 5,000, 6,000 people. You knew if there was any scouts there. And again, no Blackhawk scouts. Nobody was there watching. We won the game. And I, I don't know, I, I really had a good game. Top 50 shots, something like that. And it was like, where is everybody? All the guys were going to a bar. So all my teammates were going to the bar. And I said, I'm not going to the bar. I'm, I'm going to my apartment and I'm calling Bob Pulford. And they were like, yeah, you know, it was one of those. Yeah, right. And I'm like, I'm serious. So I'm, I'm in the apartment and I, I had his number, home number, because this was 1986, because when I signed my contract, I asked Larry Kelly, my agent, for Bob Pulford's home number so I could thank him for the $2,500 signing bonus. I signed a two-year deal and I got $2,500. So I had his number. So I called, I called and, and, and his wife, Roz, answers the phone. And, and Roz says, oh, Darren, how are you doing? I could imitate her voice because I've called a few times. Oh, Darren, how, how is everything? And Well, good, Roz. I'm, I'm in Saginaw, and I'm just looking for Polly. Oh, he's on his way back from the game. I'll, I'll have him call you when he gets in. What's the number? And uh, so anyway, so long story short, I, I took the initiative there. I called Ball Pofford, and I asked him why I wasn't recalled. I said, you lost 9-2, to 8-6, 7-1. You've given up, you know, this many goals in the last four games. You told me that if I was going well and you weren't, that you were going to make a change. You haven't made a change. No one was at my game tonight. Like, I went on a rant. No response from the other side. So finally at the end, he says, he goes, Darren, you're quite a boy for calling me on a Sunday night at my house. And now I'm thinking to myself, I'm in trouble. Uh -oh. like, and he goes, and we're keeping an eye on you. And we'll, we'll make a change if we need to make a change. Thanks, Darren. I hung up the phone. I went to that bar. I was beaming. I told the boys that Bob Pulford called me back. They were like, no way he called you back. I said, he sure did. And uh, two weeks later, I get a phone call from Bob Pulford. He wants me to go to Halifax. I said, at training camp, you told me I was going to Saginaw because I was the next goalie called up. He says, I want you to go to Halifax. I said, I'm not going to Halifax. So I hung up on him. I got a phone call from Larry Kelly five minutes later. He said, did you just hang up on and I said, yep. And he goes, you're on a four o'clock flight to Halifax, get packed. And I was gone to Halifax. And then I got recalled to the Blackhawks. So they just wanted to see me in the American League for a little bit of time. And then I ended up being recalled. So that, so that type of initiative was, is something that, you know, timing's everything. Um, feeling it, like you're passionate about it. When you feel it and you believe in yourself, then I think you can do anything. And without being abrasive or, you know, without burning any bridges. I, and I think Bob Pulford always appreciated what I did and how I did it, you know, from thanking him for $2,500 to making that phone call to when I retired, he thought I'd be a good broadcaster. And he encouraged me to be a broadcaster. And he, he I remember him telling me I was going to make a million dollars someday being a broadcaster. That's how good you're going to be. So there was a little, I mean, and when I looked at there was some coaching there in between, was there not? Did you do a little coaching in CCHA? And I did. Um, I was retired, and I was working for ESPN, and uh, Dave Poulin called me, and um, he brought me out to Notre Dame. Okay. So I was, there, I was his goalie coach for three years, but I was also at UIC um, as their volunteer coach and goalie coach as well. So UIC Flames were Division One. Okay. at that particular time. And then, um, so it was UIC first, and then it was... Uh, Notre Dame, and then for a brief time, it was the Indianapolis Ice of, I think it was a, the defunct, I don't even know what league it was. Um, maybe it was the CHL. Yeah, or, I was going to say CHL. So, there was CHL on there, but I wasn't sure what yeah. it stood for because that's changed over the yeah, years, right? Yeah, exactly right. So I really enjoyed that. I, I actually got behind the bench on a couple of uh, UIC Flames games, and uh, I, I came home and I said to my, my wife, Lynn, I said, there's good news and bad news. She said, what's the good news? I said, good news is we won. What's the bad news? I said, I liked it. <laughs> I liked it. I don't know if I want to be a coach, but I liked it. I really enjoyed it. But I enjoy being on the ice with guys. And, and, and you know, I've, I've often thought of, could, could, could a guy like me take my, my thoughts and all the stuff that I learned from Wayne Thomas and over the years, could you go on the ice and correct a goaltender by, by 
by using some of those drills and getting the fundamentals and the foundation of your game rock solid. And then you can add everything else that's newer in the game. And I, I've always wondered that if it, if, it, if it could work. I've watched Marty Brodeur did it with Jake Allen. You know, he said I could fix them. Doug Armstrong said, great, you're the new goalie coach. And, and, and he did. And he went on the ice and he did old school stuff. He didn't do anything that was new. Everything was old school. And Jake Allen got fixed. Like fashion, old is new again. Everything comes back. I mean, if you can't skate, you can't play anymore because the games become so dynamic. And a lot of those movement patterns you talk about the skating, like this is the, this is the foundation movement. Yeah. So, do you, like, there was probably maybe there was a period there where the, do you think that got lost for a little bit? I for I some think, goalies for I a stretch. Think so. I think so. I think getting to the middle of your net. You know, angles, uh, being square to a shooter instead of flat on the goal line. And those are all um, using your stick a little bit more aggressively instead of letting a, a player go forehand, backhand across the crease, one foot from the goal line. And I, I look at some plays, I'm like, I don't get it. I, I, just, I don't understand. I don't understand why you wouldn't eliminate that play and why your hands are so passive or why, you know. So there, there's a lot of plays where I look at it and I go, wow. Like, I, I, I don't think that's necessary. Right. And then you get beat and everybody says it's a great goal. And I'm like, no, it's not a great goal. That's it's not a great goal. Do you think that comes back to the reads and and Yeah, I do. You know, and just and, and knowledge. Yeah, and kids maybe sometimes becoming a like I said, a little passive, a little too can you be too maybe, structured? Yeah. Maybe too yeah, too structured. Uh um too uh right, too mechanical, too methodical, too passive, too robotic, too this is what we do in practice a thousand times and I'm going to do it again here in the game. And instead of thinking about the player, like, you know, if, if you're on, if the, if the right-hand shot's on your left side and is basically the, the sticks on the goal line and he's going to drag that across the crease, I, I think there's a better way to practice a freer hands, you know? And I always, I look at Jordan Binnington and, and I, I talk to him a lot about this, but I, his hands are free. His hands are, are in front of him. You know, he's, he's they're not active. locked to the side yeah. and, Elbows aren't tucked in, and, 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 and he's, he's out. And, and I, he's at his best when his hands are out there. And then I notice when, when that's going on, then his stick is freer around his post. And then he makes a lot of little plays that eliminate maybe a one-timer in the slot or maybe a jam play because of where his hands are. And so Wayne Thomas always stressed that with your hands and your stick being out on top of you. And I think, you know, you, you can look at the the way the sticks are, the way the blades are, the way the lies are. I mean, they're, they're not consistent. I mean, our stick was, my stick was a lie, what, what, you know, whatever it was, a lie 12. Goalies now would be, what is a lie 12 goalie stick? Our, you know, our heels, our, the heel wasn't so rounded. I mean, our, our stick had to be on the ice. And through traffic, when you couldn't see it, your stick was on the ice and it stopped a lot of pucks. So every once in a while, I'll say, you know, if his stick was just in front of his skates, he, that would never have gone in. And how simple is that? It's just goaltending, 101. Well, we were talking about this a little early, earlier today, and we talked about this in the podcast a little while ago because we had Craig Anderson in here. And, and, you know, sort of the two pads against the post on a sharp angle shot and how it threw JT Miller off. And, I, you know, I wonder if that, that, that art of unpredictability of, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury, maybe not doing it the same way every time because the shooters kind of know if you do where the holes are. Is that hopefully we see that come back? You think? Yeah, it's it's a dying breed, obviously. Yeah. Um, is there um, value if somebody could be you a young what? guy coming up and okay. have that? Let me ask you this, because you're you're a modern goalie. You're you you play all the time. You you study it. You talk to goaltenders. I'm not good if, at it, but yeah, I try. Yeah, but so if if you went down on the same, we'll call it the reverse VH. Yep. Okay. You went down on the same play against a right hand shot on your right side. And his stick was at the bottom of the faceoff dot, and his skate blades were almost on the goal line. And he beat you eight times out of ten above your shoulder on the short side. Wouldn't you correct it? <laughs> I mean, call, I call would, me goofy here, but wouldn't you find a way to do something different? I got a guy in my Monday night skates that was drafted that has a tendency to do that to me. And then I watched the goalie at the other end, who's older than me and a little bit old school, just stand up on his post and take that same shot off the chest because. The guy doesn't even look up because he just expects the goalie to be down. That's right. And I'm like, I got to start standing up. So 
I should after eight out of ten. And even if they don't go in, the ones that go off the head tend to hurt when, yes. they're, when they're looking for that spot. How about spot? the side of the head? Yeah. Like that, how many goalies get, get hit off the, whether it's the low, higher part of the neck, the temple, your ear, side of your head, and it goes in the net? Had a few of those. Like it's, and it's not meant, the mask isn't meant to take it on the side of the head. I know that one all too well. Right. And you're right, because I watch it at the other end. I'm like, I just got to start doing that. And I do think, and this is less so for me because I'm just a random beer leaguer, but for some of these kids, the instinct when you rep it out thousands and thousands of times of just dropping into a reverse, it just becomes a default yeah. as opposed to, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury or Craig Anderson reading the play and being like, yeah, I'm just going to stand up and put, you know, my pads together like I'm a Jenny Nabokov and watch this guy shoot it into nothing. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. There, there, there's, there, there's some plays like uh, I've done a bunch of games and, and Craig Anderson did a two pad stack with the, with, a, with the glove on top of the left pad. And, and it was just a classic. And in a commercial break, he came over and he goes, you like that one? <laughs> and I did. Yes, I did, Craig. I loved it. It was awesome. Um, but, I, you know, I, I think every goalie is going to be different. The, the training now um, with how it's almost like a PGA golfer. It's very similar, you know, but you still have to get back to the basics and to structure. And if you're going to be a goalie at any level, you, you have to find a way to get back on the railroad tracks very quickly if you want to be a number one goalie. And that's, that's the issue that some guys can't solve. They can't solve fixing it really fast. And, you know, you can't afford to linger with three, four, or five games. You watch a lot of games. You know when a goalie's struggling. Why can't he get it back on the rails again? And why can't he get him on there quicker? Patrick Waugh could do it. Marty Bruder could do it. Dominic Hasha could do it. The, the best of the best could always do it. They found something. A good, a great golfer, they, 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 they'll, they'll go back to the basics and they'll get their hands in a better spot and they'll get their tempo back and they'll be hit, hitting the ball again right down the middle of the fairway. Guys like me tend to look at the technique when things start to fall apart or when they can't get it back because that's easy to see. Do you think as much as I might look between the pipes, the, it's more about what's between the ears? Like, is that bad? Oh, a lot of times. Absolutely. 100%. Well, yeah. not 100%, but a lot no, more mental than I think we understand. Sure. Yeah, like, there's, there's just always little things. Uh, boy, when I was on a roll, my, wasn't, wasn't my stick out like half a foot in front of me? Was my glove resting on my hip? Uh, you know, and then you start thinking. And then, you know, thinking's no good for us goaltenders. It really isn't. It's a, it's. It's got to be fluid, I think. It's got to be so fluid and get in that net and feel like you're nine feet tall and, and get to the post and bang the post and get to the middle of the net, challenge the shooters. You start thinking about things and where your hands are, where your my boy, the toe of my pad doesn't look like it did yesterday. That stick, I don't know if I taped the stick the same way, um, <laughs> you know, and yeah. on and on it goes and then you're in trouble. Last one and we'll let you go. Um... Who do you love to watch? There's probably a lot. Like, is there anyone that jumps out that you just like when you're doing their games? You're just like, man, I just can't wait to watch this guy tonight. Yeah, probably, probably Mark Andre. Yeah, still, I, I do. I, I, I like everything about the flower. I, um, he has fun, eh? Yeah, he does. He, he has fun, and you, you know what? I, I try to tell people like, it's. I think it's easy to be mopey, and grumpy, and not talk to anybody. That's easy. You just have to shut your mouth and look the other way. He's, he's. He's energetic. He talks to people. He looks you in the eye. He's, he competes with his teammates on the ice. He backs up his partner. He plays the game sometimes unpredictable. Um, yeah, so he would be number one. You know, Vasilevsky to me is the, the best goaltender in the world. And listening to his skate blades fascinates me. Listen, listening to the power of his lateral movement. And I was trying to explain to somebody just the other day, we didn't have that. And it wasn't because we didn't have power or it didn't like, but our pads were low on our skates and they went around the toe caps and they hung low. There was probably only an inch between the top of your pad or the bottom of your pad, excuse me, and then and your skate blade. And our blades weren't as high as the current models of the blades. They're very, very low. And, and we didn't change our goalie skates a lot. So our blades actually got very, um, very low because we, I probably had skates for three or four years. And, that, and so all those things come into play when you're talking about lateral movement and the explosiveness and where the pads are today that they've got so much blade on the ice. But 
But I listen to that. I just am amazed how quickly he can get from one side of that post to the other side of the post. So, um, and he's got, you know, he's improved a lot of different areas of his game as well. And so I, I just think he's well-rounded, a competitor, wants to play every single night. Coach says you can't play on back-to-back nights. He says, I'm playing on back-to-back nights. I love that stuff. <laughs> so I, he, I'm a big fan of watching him play. I lied. I said last one, but I wanted to ask why you're one of our favorites, goalies, announcers. Why are goalies so good in that role? You know, it's a fair, it's a fair question. I think we covered a lot of different areas of the team. I mean, I was never a backup goalie. I was never a backup goalie. I hated being on the bench. But I tell you, when I was on that bench, I felt like I was a coach. You know, I was always, always going to the forwards of the defenseman behind the bench, always talking about something that the goalie was doing, always trying to explain that to him. You know, coaches sort of leaned, you know, leaned on me for that as well. I once did an entire book on the, on the at that time, the Norris division. Every stick blade, every stick model, every color of tape, every curve on every player. And I gave it to Mike Keenan because he, he, I was injured at the time and he wanted me to, to do like something like that. And he kept it. I had, I had to go back in his office several times and say, I want, I want my book. I want my book. When and people I still, talk about having a book on cheaters, you literally I still have that book. book. Oh. And, uh, and I, I just like to look at it to remind myself that I, 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 did, I, I study the game to this day. I think most goaltenders, when you're in the net, you're watching the play in front of you. You know what gap closure is. You know what a good outlet pass is from your defenseman. So there's an understanding there. Uh, when you give up a bad goal, you know what a bad goal is. You don't have to, you don't have to say, hey, he'd like that back. It's a bad goal. Um, that's it. We want everyone back. That's the We reality. want everyone back. So, yeah, I, I, I don't like that saying, actually. So I, I don't use it ever, or I try not to use ever. He'd want that one back. Um, but anyway, that's, so I, I think that, and we talk a lot. You know, you're, you're kind of, you know, you're, you're, you're engaged, you're, you're, barking, you're engaged, yeah. you're, you know, you're thinking the game all the time, it seems. And so, so I, I, I think that's why a lot of goaltenders have, have morphed into the position or, or as analysts or even in, you know, in, in hockey in general, there's a lot of guys that are general managers or presidents like JD and Jimmy Rutherford and we can go Hexy and we can go down the list. There's a, there's a lot of guys. So we're the, we're the smart ones. Uh, yeah, we don't, are the smart we'll ones. We'll just stick with that. We we are. We, we not be that. Might not, they you know don't what? think we're that bright because we stand in front of those shots. But yeah, that's probably the truth. That would be the counter that they would say after yeah. that. After we <laughs> say we're the smart ones. But anyway, I really enjoyed it, uh, Kevin. And thanks for the T-shirt. I appreciate it. Uh, our pleasure, Darren. Thanks so much for being a part of the Ingo Radio podcast. It means a lot. I know how busy you are to take this time. It means a lot. To My us. pleasure. Thanks. You guys are right about that, and. Backup goaltenders are often uh, labeled as great broadcasters because they sit there much game. But even if the starters, like you're watching the game when you're playing all the time, you're taking that in. There's so much knowledge about the entire game. You're not just watching one position. You're not just focused on the goalie, the way players are uh, and the puck. Uh, you're, you're taking it all in the flow. Well, we talk about reads and pro reads at ingoalmag.com. And how many times have I talked about, like, not only do you have to be able to read what the offensive players are doing, what those trends in the game are, and be able to diagnose that, but you have to be able to read off a defense of what your own guys are going to do and how they're going to try and counteract that and how that affects how you play your position. So you're not just being a goalie. You have to understand four checks. You have to understand rush chances. You have to understand how teams play, how guys shoot, personal tendencies. And then on your own team, all the same things matter. You have to, you have, we're, let's be honest, we're just, we just, well, I shouldn't say we, but goalies are just smart. I, I may be not in that category, but goalies are just smart. So of course they're good broadcasters. They, they're on top of everything. Do you not feel like you are the most important person in Pang's sphere when you're talking to him? Like nobody else exists. There's tons of people who are looking beyond you. Who else is in the room? Who can I go talk to? Not with Panger. No, and that's that. Maybe that's why I said like, talking at the beginning. Like he just he brings an energy, and he makes you feel. He just makes you feel good. He makes you feel special. He engages with you, and knowing how busy he is, and this was this is Christmas week, on the road. They had back to backs, uh, traveling post game, uh, for him to make the time, uh, to and to spend that much time with us. Um, just can't thank him enough for that, for being so gracious with this time and, and the energy he brought to it, the passion he brought to it. It was, a, it was a really enjoyable conversation. Like I said, every time I see him, I feel good. And hopefully our audience feels the same way after listening to that. Yeah, he's a marvelous teammate. Uh, 
right there, tied for the top, best teammates in broadcasting I've ever had. And I'm glad that uh, you uh, say the same thing and uh, respect that real conscious effort that he makes to be positive. And it is a conscious effort. And it's, but, it, but it doesn't come across as forced. It just no. feels genuine. It's not fake. Nope, it's who he is. Yeah. I'm fake Love it. sometimes. I, 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 can be, I can be fake the odd day, but, uh, but Panger's the real deal. He is. Not, not, not like you and your... Do you have your fake tooth coming? It's coming soon. Okay. It's coming soon. It's been a while, eh? It, it has. I had surgery last week. It wasn't pleasant, but... <laughs> Um, so let's just say let's just say that putting the fake in hasn't been very pleasant since the surgery. Want to uh, mention David Hutchison is on assignment. Everything's good there. I uh, wish him and everybody a uh, happy holiday uh, over on the island and you in the lower mainland as well. And please, please be careful when you're shoveling that snow. You guys don't do it very often. I'm not sure that your technique is uh, is in form. So be careful, okay? Yeah, my technique is as bad as my back after an hour out there shoveling. It's it's not good, but we'll we'll grind through. Darren, you have an awesome Christmas down there in the sunshine of Las Vegas. It may not feel like the Christmas season, I don't think, but have a fantastic Christmas. And to all our listeners, Merry Christmas. We'll talk to you before the new year. But in the meantime, don't forget the Boxing Day sale at the Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com. Thanks for listening to In Goal Radio, the podcast.